Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. The glory of God is a human being who is fully alive. The person who first spoke those words was a man by the name of Irenaeus of Lyon. Irenaeus was born in about 115 AD. And to put that in perspective, that's around 85 or so years after the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord. So he was a, he was a missionary in France. That missionary became a pastor or a bishop of a local church there in Lyon. And in time, he became really concerned about a growing philosophy that was beginning to take root in the hearts and the minds of his people. It was a philosophy known as Gnosticism. Essentially, Gnosticism meant that um, if you were a Gnostic, you kind of believed that the only things that really matter in life, the things that are most important and holy, are spiritual things, right? And that anything material or earthy is inherently bad, filled with evil, and that if you want to escape it, your, your only hope for salvation is to gain this kind of secret, secret knowledge, this gnosis, right? And this knowledge will somehow allow you to escape this world of decay and evil and corruption. But if you, if you can't find that knowledge, if you don't uh, somehow gain that secret wisdom, then you're, you're really just left to abide in this despairing sense of malaise for the rest of your life with really no hope of anything getting any better. In a way, it kind of reminds me of, uh, of a scene from the movie As Good As It Gets. So Jack Nicholson is this person who struggles mightily with this, um, this condition, uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder, and, and he's seeking therapy and treatment, and, and it's not working the way he wants it to work. It's not working fast enough. And so he goes to his therapist, and he, just, he pitches a fit there in the office, and then on the way out, he goes through the waiting room where there are some other clients there, presumably uh, suffering with some other secret struggle of their own. He takes a minute, takes a deep breath, looks them in the faces, and he says, what if this is as good as it gets? And a woman kind of gasps, and then he just, he walks out, like coldly, walks out of the room Despite the despair that Irenaeus saw in the second century where he lived, he refused to believe that this was as good as it gets. He had this deep belief that the world, the, 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 the created order itself was inherently good, created very good by God and worthy of his own son being born into it. 
Irenaeus believed that if the world was all that bad, then Christ would not have chosen to be born in it and live among it. See, he was influenced by a brand new paper that had been written, a little document, fresh, brand new. It was circulating around. It was so new that in some places the ink was still a little wet. The document was called the Gospel of John. And as he read through the Gospel of John, he came to a place around about the third chapter, somewhere around verse 16, where he read and believed these words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But the power is in the first part of that verse, for God so loved this world. This world in which you and I abide, the world with you know, earthquakes and storms, corruption, brokenness, pain, suffering, injustice. This world that has pollen and viruses. This world God loved and loves still. And Irenaeus believed that God loved the world so that he, he chose to enter into it, to redeem it, to reconcile it. So he keeps reading on this brand new document he has, the Gospel of John, and he's, he's reading along around about the 10th chapter, around about verse 10, and he reads these life-changing words. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Another translation actually says, I came that they might have life and have it to the fullest. So he picks up a pen, Irenaeus, and he writes those words, the the glory of God, the thing that gives God the greatest delight and joy and satisfaction. The glory of God is a human being who is fully alive, teeming with aliveness, content, filled with joy, satisfaction, engagement, reconciled relationships, peace in mind and heart. One who is fully alive brings God great delight. When was the last time that those words described your life? Fully alive? Because if we're really being honest, I mean, it's hard to feel fully alive when you're sheltering in place. Am I right? I mean, it's hard to, to feel fully alive when in many ways it feels like your life is caving in on you. You feel like crawling the walls. You're snapping at the other people in the house with you. It's as if this season in which we find ourselves is pressing and forcing to the surface an awareness That all of the rhythms and rituals and routines that we had built our lives upon and became dependent upon, now that they are removed, there is this awareness that in their absence, there is a kind of lostness that that we feel, which calls into question the way in which we have been constructing our lives. You know, Jesus said, there was a man who... He built a house. And when he built this house, he, he built it on this very solid, firm rock. And that was wise. He was a wise man. He built it on the rock. And then this storm came. 
And the storm came, and the rains fell, and the floods rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. But it stood firm. It was rock solid because it had been built upon the foundation of stone, the rock itself. But there was another man who built a house also. He was a, he was a foolish man. And he built his house on the sand. And the same storm came, and the same rains fell, and the same floods rose, the same winds blew and beat against his house, and it was destroyed. It fell completely apart from the inside out. And Jesus says, mighty was that fall. And as I'm just observing our own lives, your own life, as we observe the way we are moving and navigating through these curious times in which we find ourselves, it may be such that this COVID-19 and this sheltering in place, the season in which we find ourselves, is forcing us to become aware of the ways in which we have constructed our lives on ground that is not solid. You're like, well, Sean, come on. I mean, I'm not building, I haven't built my house on the sand. I'm just, you know, I just miss going to the restaurant I want to go to. I miss being with my friends. I miss going to the gym and doing what I want to do freely and unhindered. I know. I mean, I, I get it. I mean, I have favorite spots and favorite places to go and things to do. I have a favorite Mexican restaurant because they serve the best uh, tacos in all the city, right? And I'm with you. I get it. Those are, those are things that bring satisfaction and happiness, right? But, but here's the question I, I want to raise. The degree to which we feel lost may reveal the degree to which we have placed our confidences and built our house upon a foundation other than the rock. This is what resurrection is all about. See, last week we, we observed Easter Sunday. It's the biggest day of the week or the year for us, right? I mean, it's the, the, the anchoring belief of our faith is in the resurrection of Jesus. And last week we acknowledged that in the crucifixion of our Lord and the resurrection of his life on that third day, then all the world has been provided a pathway to life and life eternally, right? I mean, that is absolutely true. The resurrection, that one-time event once in history, shifted everything in the course of human events from time before until time after. I mean, even in Colossians, we read this amazing text. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. So yes, last week, we lifted up this truth that is the anchor of it all, that in him and through his resurrection, we have life. But what I want us to consider these next several weeks together is that resurrection was not just some one-time event in history, but true resurrection is a holy invitation 
to a way of life. A way of life. This is what Irenaeus was all about. He's like, you know, the true delight of God is, is to see a human person who is fully alive living into a rhythm of resurrection every day of their life. Resurrection is not a one-time event. It is a way of life. It is absolutely possible for you right where you are to experience the true aliveness of resurrection, the contentment that comes, a source of satisfaction by being known and by knowing, by having peace with one another and with God, a sense of reconciliation in all things. You can be truly alive, but you cannot experience the true aliveness of resurrection until you come to grips with the reality of the cross. You can't. I can't. It's impossible to be able to actually truly experience the true aliveness of resurrection until we recognize the reality of the cross and not just the cross of Christ, but the cross we are called to bear. Jesus said it this way, he said, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That means take up your cross. That means come to grips with those patterns and privileges, those ways of life that have actually led toward paths of destruction and nail them to the cross. If any wish to be my disciples, they must take up their cross and follow because here is the greatest mystery of them all. It's, it, it's the universal pattern of God. It's the paschal mystery that you can't have resurrection without first having crucifixion. You can't truly live until you learn how to die. You cannot rise until you have fallen. Jesus said it this way. He said, look, you can have a seed in the middle of your hand and hold that seed. It can be a precious seed, but if it remains in your hand, it is just a seed. But if that seed falls to the ground and dies, then that seed can burst open with new life and grow. Then resurrection emerges. This is the pattern that God has set into motion from the beginning of time. And this is the life that Jesus invites you to experience. The life of crucifixion and resurrection. The life of laying down your old self and rising up with him to walk in newness of life. See, Jesus had a favorite title for himself. More often than any other title in Scripture, Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man, which literally means the representative of all humankind, right? So if the representative of all humankind was crucified on Friday and the representative of all humankind was raised to life on Sunday morning, then the very thing that was happening in the representative of all humankind can happen in you and it can happen in me. This is what God is inviting us all to experience. The courage of allowing our lives to be crucified with Christ so that we no longer live, but it is Christ who lives within us. But the, the rub of this, the, the difficulty, the pain, the wound that comes with this 
is recognizing that if we are going to be alive with Christ, there are some very real patterns and privileges, some creature comforts that we literally have to painfully relinquish in order to be made alive in Christ. And I just wonder if this time during COVID-19, it has created, and hear me say again, I do not believe with one ounce of my energy. I do not believe that God sends these kinds of things for, for us to be tested or sends them as a punishment. But I'm saying we live in a world that is vulnerable to viruses, right? And in the midst of struggle like this, God is at work actively attempting to wake us up to something. And I wonder if during this season, when all of our patterns and habits and routines and our ways of life are beginning to be taken away, like last week I called them props, that all of the external props that have previously held our lives up, now they've been kicked out. I wonder if now there is in you or in me a greater awareness of those very things that A, not only do not bring life, but in many ways B, take us down paths of self-destruction. See, I, I wonder during this season a question that's been stirring in my own spiritual journey, and I wonder if you can ask the same. What are the patterns of my own life that must die in order to truly experience the aliveness of resurrection? What are the patterns that truly must die in order to experience the fullness, the true aliveness of resurrection? Are there ego patterns? Are there behavioral patterns? Are there things that now you are aware in the absence of them you depended on them too much? Are there now behaviors, tendencies, attitudes that are arising because you are now trapped in this sheltering in place season in which you find yourself that now you're beginning to see the ugly side of your attitude, your ego, your own pride, right? I wonder what in you needs to be crucified. This is something that we don't just do one time. I mean, we put a lot of our energy and our focus and our confidence on the reality that Christ died once for all people, for all time, for all sin. And we celebrated that last week, and we celebrated every time we gather together. But I am telling you that this crucifixion and resurrection is something that you and I get to choose every day. See, Paul said it this way. Paul said, look, I have been crucified with Christ. Yeah. And it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. See, he's the one who said, yes, Christ did it, and I consider myself crucified with Christ, but that's not all he said. Paul also said in 1 Corinthians, this is something that happens every Day. He said, I die every day. That is as certain, brothers and sisters, as my boasting of you. Paul knew something that maybe we are beginning to discover during this strange season, and that is there is required upon us resurrection people a rhythm of every day rising up to acknowledge when we wake up in the morning, Lord, I am prone 
to pursue pathways of self-destruction today. I recognize that gone unchecked, I will not go and find some space to sit with you alone, the maker of my mortal existence, the redeemer of my eternal soul. I will choose not to do that, but gone unchecked, what I will likely do is binge watch Netflix and eat Oreos until I can't button my jacket anymore, right? So there, there is this awareness that crucifixion and resurrection is a way of life. And we have to every day die to ourselves. What is it that Christ is asking you to crucify today so that he may rise up in a brand new way right there in your home? Listen, i got to tell you something. During this time when I've been at home, I've noticed something at our house. We've got this bird, right? And this bird is, in our backyard, we've got these woods, you know, kind of these trees, and it's beautiful, and I love it. It's like a sanctuary. We, got, we go back there and just kind of hear the breeze and lots of birds. I mean, all kinds of singing going on in the trees in my backyard, and it's gorgeous and beautiful. I love it, except we have this one bird that is absolutely evil. I am convinced that this one bird is literally possessed by some form of demonic power, I guarantee, because he begins to chirp this obnoxious chirp from before the sun rises, and I promise you, does not stop all day long in five-second increments until the sun goes down at night, and you go outside to maybe read, study, prep, do some work, and it drives you crazy. You go inside and it's so loud, you just want to throw something against the wall. So listen, I wanted you to get about five or six seconds of an example, because last night uh, he had something uh, that had ruffled his feathers apparently, and he was going off again. I want you to hear about five or six seconds of what is driving me crazy lately. Listen to this. day long all day long okay all day not kidding you that obnoxious chirp all day long in like four or five second increments so yesterday i put on some gloves and i put on a mask and i went to walmart and i bought a slingshot all right, true story. I bought a slingshot because I wanted to kill this bird. I wanted him gone. And then I went home, I opened it up, and this is no joke. This, I mean, this is a real slingshot. It's not just a, I mean, it's like, with. remember the old uh, wrist rockets? It's a wrist rocket. It literally supports your wrist. It's got laser focus. It, and by that I mean it had, literally has a laser for your aiming purposes. And I went home with the, the intent of getting rid of this obnoxious noise. And then the Lord was, you know, working on my heart. And 
And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to kill it. I'm not going to kill it. It's just a, I can't even find it anyway. It's so high in these pines. I don't even know which one it is. I, can't, I even got an app on my phone to try to identify this thing that was obnoxious. And no matter what I'm doing, it just keeps chirping all day long. So I decided maybe I won't kill it. Maybe I'll just get some gravel. And maybe I'll just kind of you know, use the slingshot and just scare it. Maybe I scare it away. And then I thought, maybe I'll get a helium balloon in the shape of like a predator bird, like a hawk or something. And I don't know what I'm going to do about the bird, but here's the deal. The Lord kept talking to me about it. And maybe the bird is a voice I need to hear. I can't even, I can't even bring myself to say that, but it's true. What if the bird is a voice I need to hear, and it is this, that you and I are so prone to hush the obnoxious, irritating, interrupting noises in our lives that we learn nothing from them. I wonder if the bird is simply a parable, a living parable during this time where I'm forced to listen to it, to the reality that maybe, Sean, you need to, maybe we all need to wake up to something that needs attention that we typically normally ignore and keep to the edges of our consciousness, but we can't now because it's right in front of our faces. Remember last week, I said, what if this whole thing is not an irritating interruption, but what if it's a holy disruption where God is attempting to force to the surface to our awareness, the places where we need to confess, the places where we need to repent, the places where maybe we need to die to our own ego, our own self, so that true aliveness, true resurrection may actually be experienced. So how do you do that? Only one way. Prayer. We come to a place where we literally every morning have to wake up and confess to God and maybe more so to ourselves, today I will be prone to ignore the interrupting, disrupting, irritating voices even if they are trying to tell me something. I will be prone to continue down pathways of self-destruction because they're familiar and comfortable rather than choosing the narrow road where in discomfort and pain and a sense of lostness, I may actually find life. So today, God, I pray that you would help me to lay upon the cross everything in me that needs to die. Today I crucify my pride, my ego, my own lordship as if I am in charge of anything and I humbly yield to the power of your authority in my life it may be that somebody needs to pray this way God I recognize maybe especially now that I've come to the end of all of my bag of tricks I've come to the end of myself and I recognize that my old pattern, my old way, was leading me down a path of self-destruction. And I, I confess to you that I cannot help myself. But I believe that you, 
in all of your goodness and love and compassion and mercy that is without end, I believe that you can rescue me. So I ask that you would. I lay down all of my burdens before you and I lay down all of my pretension. I yield to you and the power of your capacity to transform my life so that I see my loved ones differently, so that I treat my coworkers differently, so that I actually interpret all of the events of my life, including the big one like this one, so very differently that I'm, well, alive anyway. So God, I pray that you would take all that is in me and nail it to the cross and make me alive together with your son. In Christ's name, amen.